whenever there's a crisis and there is one, let's say every um, either yeah. week or two weeks, right? Or sometimes twice a week. Feels like every day. I mean, maybe I'm right. No, overselling no, no, it, no, you're but... right. There, there are crises that happen every day, but crises that cut to the core mm. of sort of like existence. I mean, there are there are Russia related crises yeah. and uh, rule of law crises, but the, you know, when there's a terrorist attack in a synagogue, it mm. really it has you know these um, emotional uh, reverberations. And so when that happened over the weekend, it's like my mind was just like in the place it goes when when these things happen and so i have all these comic ideas and i don't have enough time to do them all so i'm just trying to you know get as many out as i can i mean i just need to take a little bit of a mental health rest so last night i was doing another mccain megan mccain comic yeah. it's you know it's a profession and it's your job and you're not just doing these for yourselves but it's a way of processing these external things yes and by the way when you say it's a job i mean uh, uh it, it this stuff doesn't doesn't pay. I just started a Patreon. I'm trying to plug it, but I had a day job for my entire um, existence in New York, and it, it ended last year. And I've been sort of like trying to figure out how to survive when these media outlets are, on the one hand, almost non-existent at this point. On the other hand, don't pay enough to to sustain oneself. That's why I started the Patreon. Because when you said, you know, when you make your living off of this, and also this article in this in this um, in New York magazine was like, uh, you know, his career is going great, and it depends how you define career, you know? I mean, maybe my comics have more of an impact now yeah. uh, than they had 10 years ago, but I can't live off of them. That's too bad. I suspect that subject matter is a big part of that. I mean, you're, you're already starting with, you know, being like a leftist or progressive ideology, but also just the issue of Israel is so divisive, even like on the left side of the spectrum, that this is the sort of thing that like if it if it's run in a given publication, that write-in campaigns come and, you know. I, know. I, I take it for granted at this point, but you're right. that it, That is part of it, you know? I'm going to have to, like, start calling myself a martyr for free speech or some shit. You've definitely been kind of a bit of a pariah lately since the Meghan McCain thing happened. They called you anti-Semitic, which yeah, is just yeah. bizarre on the face of it. Yeah, but the thing is, uh, I've been called anti-Semitic by right-wing Jews for a decade now. And right-wing Jews have called, you know, the majority of American Jews uh, self-hating for generations now. And so when Meghan McCain said it, it wasn't really surprising to me because it's just part of the whole process of erasing the majority of American Jews. But everyone else, like, looking from the outside, like, oh, my God, a, a Christian, clearly Christian woman telling a Jewish cartoonist that he's anti-Semitic is, is preposterous. But to me, it's just like our entire reality is preposterous. So that it, what she said was not out of the order. It didn't feel any different from the normal pushback. Well, it did feel different once on the repercussions scale, on the scale, yeah, the scale yeah. felt different. But I didn't. I did not notice the preposterousness, the absurdity of her calling it anti-Semitic at first because I was just so used to it. There were all these, like, or at least you know, one or two right-wing Jews who were who who have you know consistently denigrated me, who were inviting her over for Shabbat dinner and saying we we love you, Megan, and and like you know Ben Shapiro types. They're all like enveloping her. It's a good sign that the, I know she's not evangelical, but you know the Christian Zionists are more Jewish to these people than I am and then the entire Jewish left is. And that says a lot about them. It's interesting you used the word martyr before. And you know, I think you use it ironically, yeah. but it, it's funny that you use the word because they are, uh, you know, Megan McCain is looking for any opportunity to martyr herself. Yeah. She's like throwing herself on the funeral pyre for this one. Yeah, yeah. I, and also for this new comic, I... um. I needed some like footage of the uh, I, I, just for image resource. I was looking at like YouTube videos of uh, of the View and um, just watching her. There, there was one video of just her and Joy Behar. I don't know how to pronounce Behar. Be Behar. Behar. Yeah. Um, just like you know, greatest hits of them fighting and just like watching the way Megan would talk to her yeah. or talk to anyone. Such entitlement, such privilege, and such disdain for for you know people who have so much more experience yeah. in the media in in the conversation. 
because at one point I was like, oh, you know, I want to be bullying and all that. But she's really a pernicious force. You said both self-hating and, and anti-Semitic. And, and I think those are two distinctly different things. I, you know, the self-hating piece is just is just such an important part of like American Jewish identity, of comedy, you know, right. of right. like right. Larry David, uh, Woody Allen, all these people. That's a big part of it. I, I don't know that they're necessarily self-hating and being an anti-Semitic Jewish person are necessarily one and the same. Right, right. No, for sure. It's a very complicated and nuanced issue in terms of self-hatred and the American Jewish experience. And there are so many different facets of it. Self-hatred has been weaponized by the Jewish right when it comes to Zionism. And it's because they they realized early on that if they define Jewish authenticity in Zionist terms, then they could negate the majority of Jews or those Jews who do not find their, you know, uh, spiritual or cultural religious aspiration culminating in Israel. And so they can say, oh, if you're not part of the Zionist enterprise, then you hate yourself because Judaism equals Zionism. That's that's the way they frame the debate. But you feel like they've been conflated to some uh, degree? Yes, they have. I mean, yeah. well, it's been anti-Semitism has been weaponized and so has the concept of self-hatred. So I like to flip the script and say, if you're battling against the uh, majority values of post-Enlightenment Jewish uh, community worldwide, then you're the one who's self-hating. But I, I'm not trying to say that too much, but I mean, at this point, they're allied with Nazis, though, so the game is up. This hasn't been your main source or really, I guess, much of a source of income for you. You know, you've been doing this um, this day job of, up until recently. What's been driving you to do the comics? Um, originally, when it was like uh, comics, narratives about uh, Jewish issues, identity, and, and Zionism as well, but not exclusively that. It was my way of exploring and processing these aspects of my um, experience and identity. You know, I wrote a Jewish uh, travel book to Central Europe prior to even starting drawing comics as an adult. So it's, you know, it's all part of that. And then once the Trump era began, uh, then it became sort of like a... um, you know, a mission obsession kind of thing, not not so much processing, but sort of uh, bearing witness to the horrors that are happening. Was there a marked change in your output from Trump being inaugurated? Yeah, well, here's the thing. For a couple of reasons, my comics are different now because prior to the election, most of my comics and the ones like in Diaspora Boy are these long narratives that are full page. They used to be in the forward. A lot of them did uh, full page broadsheets, multi-panel, like 12 to 15, exploring an issue through various nuances of a narrative, allegory or analogy, etc. But now, partly because the news cycle is so quick, I don't really have time. You know, yeah. like, as, as we were saying a moment ago, uh, things change so quickly. You just you can't, you can't remember something that happened like two weeks ago and it was an atrocity then. I mean, that's one of the reasons. But also, uh, I feel that the older, the older comics I was doing, I love them, but they, 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 had, a, they had a sort of like a leisure or, or a comfort of mm. not being um, pressed – by the panic and the terror of, w- of what we're experiencing now, you know? In, in terms of being tied to a current event or just in terms of everything being an ongoing horror show? Yeah, the latter. Okay. The latter. I mean, also that, but I mean, but it, but it, it's mostly the latter. And so it's hard to like sort of like take a breather and just sort of like see the big picture and do a, a larger comic. And the couple that I've tried, like, that I have done, I mean, one of them I just don't really like. It was It's sort of like this, you know, broad humor um, involving uh, – Trump and a horse head. The Godfather reference? Yeah, it was a Godfather reference and also um, Midsummer Night's uh, Dream mm. um, bottom. Yeah, donkey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but overall, I mean, the comic just felt like um, it wasn't, didn't, it doesn't really fit for me. It doesn't, it didn't really feel like a natural expression in the current moment. Whereas if I had done it prior to Trump, you know, not using Trump, but, you know, other uh, personalities, it would have it would have felt more natural, I think. You said something interesting on Chapo that I wanted to press you about a little bit. I think, you know, you mentioned it and, you know, it's a very 
fast-paced conversation. It just sort of <laughs> I couldn't It strikes me. I sat in on one of their recordings one time. It just strikes me as something where, like, you have to, like, find your – The other thing is I'm not well-versed in gaming. And yeah. so <laughs> yeah. when they go you're on their riffs – You're not a regular Fortnite player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just get that combined with lack of sleep. I was a little bit – You're not really telling jokes anymore or there aren't really – it's not set up in punchlines. Like, certainly yeah. they're not gag scripts, but the really obvious humor has left. Yeah, it's true. Uh, you know, I, I call them snapshots from – or yeah. postcards from dystopia, that kind of thing. They're not like literally taking something someone said, but just tweaking it a little bit, and they're not making a joke out of it. And for me, actually, um, I've really enjoyed, or you know, enjoy as a you know relative term, but <laughs> I have um, found a certain amount of sustenance from the actual art process and drawing. You know, and catharsis. Maybe, maybe it's maybe it's some kind of catharsis. It's meditative. It's meditative. Yeah. So it's like there's such horrors going on, and I have. It, it seems like, you know, on paper, a very basic idea, just like, you know, one sentence that Trump is saying or that Meghan McCain is saying. But the art itself, the actual creation of it through the art and the process mm. is, yeah, I guess catharsis is a good word for it. And I like the art that I've been doing now, um, the grotesqueries, yeah. you know, which mirror what's happening. I, I'm not going to say more than the old older narratives I used to do, but in, in the ways that I'm just – you know, it's it's clicking for me now, so I'm, I'm enjoying it. Do you find that it impacts the way you watch the news, the way you process these things? You know, I've talked to a lot of cartoonists who do strips, like uh, particularly people who do autobiographical strips who start to view the world through three panels. Wow, that's interesting. Sure, sure. I, I can imagine if I were doing that kind of thing, especially with a, with a static um, number of panels each time, mm. I would be looking for an arc everywhere I go. Like, I need an arc. It can't just be like... Uh, an experience with a person at a deli. I mean, it can't just be an exchange. It has to have a, an arc to it. Yeah. And so, so you're actually monitoring your own sort of conscious, you know, your, your thoughts, your, your reaction to things happening. There's more of a narrative than, as you said, a snapshot. Exactly. So, I mean, to, to apply that to, to, to what I'm doing, no, I, I, it doesn't like change the way I live in terms of looking for it. In fact, when I try to look for something, it usually doesn't come. It's, it's usually basically I just get apoplectic and speechless about something that's happening that I sort of like, I, you know, journal. Sort of, you know, on the computer, just like I just start writing, you know, just and, and, and my initial ideas are just like horrible, you know, just like just anger, just pure anger. And they're not just don't even mix. I know people yeah. would say that about my finished product, but <laughs> you should see the stuff that I reject. It's just like pure id. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's it. It's pure id. And then and then I just start writing more about why I'm angry. And, and, and it's like maybe therapeutic to just write it out, even though it's when I look at it again, it's like, wow, horror show. But then finally, you know, I come up. With something sort of like without even realizing, it. I'm like, hey, wait, like this thing, like three sentences back, that's actually a comic right there, and it's like, wow. And then I'm like, okay, I, you know. And then I get into like how how to actually draw it. It starts longer form, and you, it sounds like being an editor is a big part of putting these things together. Yeah, and I, and I should say that's the way I've been doing it under like these snapshots from dystopia. Back when I was doing the, the longer narratives, it was different. It was like it was like playing with a theme. It's like, oh, this is the theme, you know, of like, um, you know. Uh, Israelis preferring evangelicals to American Jews, like, and then I'd like go into like an analogy and then like explore it from different sides. So it was like, it was, it was generally calmer. Whereas right now yeah. it's like, you know, I'm like, we're off the cliff. Something horrible just happened. And I'm just like scribbling notes as I'm falling down. And then hope, you know, by the time I hit bottom, there's an idea there. The Mega McCain is one is a good example of this from the standpoint of it's, it's a snapshot. It's, it's a shot of her. Um, there's dialogue, but there's a lot. There's a lot going on, and in order for, I, I suspect that in order for 
this to kind of have the desired impact. It almost has to be like blunt force trauma to the viewer, to the reader. I mean, to me, that that wasn't like bludgeon. That was more just mm. like little Easter eggs throwing in okay. uh, all around. And just just like uh, visually uh, represent her exploitation of Jewish uh, kitsch and trauma. So I wanted, you know, at first I had her actually dressed up. <laughs> this is probably like the earlier drafts. Dressed up in a, you know, Auschwitz uh, prisoner uniform. And I'm like, no, you know what? No, you're not going to do that. But I did want I did want a certain symbol of her clutching Jewish trauma. Break that down for me. Like, why are you like this first impulse is a bad impulse? Obviously, it does seem like there's a line that you're that's been crossed there. But there's also a line, you know, it's yeah. more subtle, but they're both implying or getting at the same thing. Yeah. But I mean, in that case, I think the subtlety was, you know, warranted or just or necessary, yeah. you know, I think if she was in a full Auschwitz garb, I would have I mean, I, I'm not one to talk because I generally do lose the reader. Whatever I'm just I wondering, do. like how much how much different things would have been for you, like had that had that happened, because like your life was, you know, like upturned a little bit after this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have no idea. But I, I will say that I needed some kind of symbol of Jewish trauma because she was crying on TV, uh, appropriating Jewish trauma and playing a victim because of her uh, familiarity with Joseph and Hadassah Lieberman, you know? And so that that was exploitation of Jewish collective trauma that she could not – she should not – be allowed to get away with that. Do you feel the need to to retreat a little bit, or do you, or are you being kind of emboldened by this pushback? I suspect not having seen this new yeah. Ilan Omar one. The reason I won't is because I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, th- I mean, I don't know if we were recording then, but when I said yeah. that, uh, there aren't really many outlets at all. You know, there's just like a couple. I've enjoyed just posting these to Twitter, even though it's you know working for free because it gives me total freedom, total freedom. And, and I love that. I love the fact that they, I mean, you know, eventually I'm going to run out of the savings that I accrued during my day job, but, uh, that's going to be a problem, but I, I will, you know, to revisit it then. But right now it's like, not only am I not going to allow bad faith assholes to censor me, but I'm not even, I'm not even submitting, uh, towards an editorial process at this point, you know? And, and I've, ne- and also, I mean, with certain, you know, um, caveats, I used to send out my scripts to a series of friends, very close friends who would give me like, you know, line edits pretty much. I was drawing kind of like for my friends. And so the, the friends that I respected, I, I was curious, you know, if I was hitting the right notes or if they had feedback or whatnot. Now I'm I'm not even showing it to people with, with certain exceptions. Sometimes I will. But in general, I've just been going with my gut. And it's been exhilarating creatively to do that. It's interesting because I think we've mostly discussed the, the creation process in terms of how it impacts you and, and your feeling toward it. If the audience is completely different, if, if there isn't an editorial board, if it's not going through a publication, if you're just sending it through social, is there a kind of impact that you're looking for to get with these snapshots? Generally, I am hoping that it will energize and galvanize a, a besieged left that has mm-hmm. been gaslit for two years now and that has been forced to both sides our uh, right-wing nightmare, you know, authoritarian nightmare. You know, the, the goal is... Uh, to these are postcards of dystopia, but they're also a sort of trigger towards sanity, you know, because when we're when we're being bombarded by all these atrocities and being gaslit throughout, you know, we, we can start to question what, you know, whether we're we're rational after all, or, you know, you can, can also make you want to give up. And then, you know, when, when, when you see an image that is so devastating in its um, depiction of what is actually happening, it's like, wow, no, we got to keep going because this is a really a fucking nightmare. Was part of the move away from humor the difficulty of finding – the difficulty of heightening absurdity in the current state? Yeah, it might it might have been that. That's yeah, that's one way of saying it. And that's that's I'm trying to I'm trying to think like because there's different different aspects of it. And one of the aspects, as I said, is the um, quickened news pace comedy in the age of Trump. That like not that SNL was ever like cutting edge political satire, but that it's like 
you know, Cheeto in chief. Like that's that's kind yeah. of where we're at right Hamburgers now. or whatever that is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, well, when I talk about that comic that I'm not as crazy about now, the, the bottom, you know, the, the horse comic, mm-hmm. it's essentially that. It's like it's um, sort of – and in fact, you know, I was using like headlines. I was using the – it was like a week after Kofeve thing. Yeah, yeah. I used that as like the nuclear codes. Was Kofeve was in the codes. I mean I don't – that's like shtick that they would do on SNL actually. It's, kind of, it's pretty standard like political cartooning. Yeah, right? yeah. Maybe yeah. that's why it just, it just bugs me whenever I look at it today. Um, and there was something else I put in there too that was like headline ripped. I, I think that's a good point. I mean, maybe it's just that you know there was such self caricature that um, when you're when you're looking for humor in it, it's like it's obvious. We we know this already when we look at the news. So yeah, I guess that that is that is a large part of it. Although also the the news cycle thing too. Can you walk me through the process of of making a, a comic sort of be, beyond that initial brainstorming phase? Because you mentioned that when you did that interview and when you're doing this interview that you're running a very little sleep because you had been working on a comic. This is like the complaint with cartoonists across the board of the amount of time it takes to make something versus the amount of time it takes to consume it. But that's hmm. doubly so with a, a panel like this because you know you're working on a single image, but it it took you all night. It sounds like yeah, and also I wish I had done it. A full day ago, and I also wish I had posted it this morning. Um, but I just like, you know, at a certain point, like it was like um, 7.30 in the morning, and I'm like, you know, I could stay up another two hours and finish this and then post it at 9.30, but I'm like, I just need to have at least, you know, two hours of sleep. Um, and also, as it turned out, I woke up at um, maybe 9.30, 9.45, and then I was working um, maybe three hours on it because uh, I added a couple of extra figures in, etc. You have trouble hitting send. <laughs> yeah, even after I, I – <laughs> you know what? Honestly, I mean, it's a uh, – I don't know if you want to go into this, but um, – yeah. I, I am sensitive to the fat shaming issue with Megan McCain yeah. and um, body shaming, etc. On the other hand, I I am depicting her um, as this overbearing, physically overbearing presence in this in this particular comic. She's like reaching over the entire view table to to talk to Adolf Hitler. You know, I, 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 th- I mean, I think that's a good point, and and it's something I was thinking about today with the William Barr thing happening because there's okay. been. Some people call me like a fat fuck online, which is just like there's eight million other things. I think it's a little bit different. I think to some degree, body shaming with Trump is okay because of his own rhetoric and vanity. I mean, yeah, okay. and 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 the things that he said about other people. Oh, good. Yeah, you know the thing he said about Rosie O'Donnell. The thing he says basically about women. Turning somebody's words back on them is fine, but like, but using somebody's like weight or you know, and and, and this tends to be kind of a problem with political cartooning in general, right? Is they like heighten certain physical yeah, aspects. These people are garbage people. People, not because of how they look, but because yeah. of their horrible totally. black souls. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it, with this, uh, in order to make room for Whoopi Goldberg in the back, uh, I, <laughs> the thing is, I've been doing things yeah. on, on a Wacom Cintiq. I've been doing on a Wacom Cintiq. The, so you can er- erase and go back and not just that, but the yeah. gift and the curse of the Wacom or doing anything on the computer is yeah. you can change the size of everything and you can keep increasing the canvas size until it's until your computer won't work. I wanted a little more canvas space on the right to have Whoopi yeah. there, but when I did that, I added canvas and I already like you know cropped Megan was just like going off frame when I added like even just like um, I don't know like a centimeter of extra room on the right this is like you know at noon today and I just like quickly you know drew the you know added her body and then I realized after I posted because you asked like do you ever you yeah. know have regrets or whatever this is a good example of regret I inadvertently when I just quickly stretched her out I should have made her like uh, made the body go down more mm-hmm. by what actually with this one what I liked was I I made her like a worm like a snake she's just like this this earthworm coming coming out of uh, is a body and I thought that's actually better than you know like fat shaming kind of thing because it's just it's just a worm so it's like it's not about her the weight or the you know the 
large frame. Yeah. It's just about, you know, the, the, the slipperiness of her. Anyway, when, instead of giving her like sort of a, a, a joint or a hip where it's going down, I have it continuing. So she looks even more corpulent than I had intended. And it was just because I was quickly throwing ink onto the uh, canvas, so to speak, at noon. It's maybe hard to have a dialogue with a, with a cartoon. You have this thing that you put out in the world, and then it sort of takes on a life of its own. I mean, ideally, it would not just be a way of letting people know that they're you know, not alone in the world, but also a way of like of, of spurring on a conversation. But I mean, do, do you feel like you have that ability that you're able to sort of continue on that conversation once it's out in the world? Or is it just have a life of its own? Um, well, it depends. I mean, it's a case, it's a case by case yeah. issue. But I mean, with my comics, when the right comes after me, especially on issues of uh, Judaism, and, uh, you know, authenticity and erasure, then I don't, I don't like <laughs> I don't like their their malicious interpretations. On the other hand, though, I don't like I try not to, um, you know, like find Daily Wire shitheads who are trashing me. I often only see it because people will tag me or yeah. whatnot. Although I do search the, the comics tweet itself yeah. to see uh, if people, you know, what, what the reactions are. And that that's how sometimes I will find the the malicious asshole saying, oh, another anti-Semite, you know, Der Sturmer uh, art from Ellie and that kind of shit. Is the idea, though, to, to sort of let it to let it stand on its own? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. For example, the regrets that you have with the way this accident of, of digital editing that made Megan McCain look different. When something like that happens, you know, do, do you feel the need to address that to sort of let people know that it wasn't your intention? I do feel the need to, but I also recognize that you can't do that. I mean, yeah. you can't have a postscript to a comic and yeah, say, exactly. by the way, yeah. or, or I, I actually sometimes envision, you know, because I'm just tweeting them. I can just, cause it's not like it's in like the New Republic print edition or something. So I can just like, you know, send a follow-up tweet. Oh, actually, I prefer this one. And people won't even see the difference because it's all like, yeah. you know, my intense uh, self-critical eye for the art. But just like to, to place myself, I'm not going to do that. Um, I will complain to a friend or two in DMs about it but that's that's a limit of it it sort of makes you maybe not sympathetic but it, can, it makes you understand why so much of political cartooning is so unsubtle from the standpoint of like that sort of classic of big fat guy with the top hat and it says like washington bureaucrats why political cartoonists traditionally have felt the need to to spell everything out yeah but it's also because of limited imagination and the yeah. the, the uh inevitable hackery that comes from daily cartooning i think but you know that like for example that a cartoon about elon omar or megan mccain that if you don't go out of your way to spell everything out, then people are going to absorb that however they want, and they're going to weaponize it in their own way. Like this comic I did of uh, Ben Shapiro and on a YouTube thing, uh, you know, crying crocodile tears for the uh, victims of the New Zealand shooting mm. in Christchurch. I had him with a uh, graph. You know, he was like, you know, crying, crying, crying. Meanwhile, he had a, a graph with the X and Y axis, Muslim, Muslims and terror, you know, going yeah. straight up. And this Daily Wire shithead comes at me saying, you actually got the X and Y reversed. It should be, you know, Muslims on the Y, whatever. And it turned out he wasn't right. I had all these mathematicians <laughs> were coming in and be like, this guy's a shithead. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it, there is no expression of causality when you choose which, you know, which is X and which is Y. This person from the Daily Wire yeah. was was uh, maliciously misinterpreting or sort of uh, focusing yeah. on a very specific aspect of it in a in a blatant effort to ignore the fact that his boss incites to terrorism. So I mean, uh, th th there's no way uh, to control bad faith interpretation. It's one thing regretting sort of the way you draw somebody or digitally edit somebody, but do you ever feel like you've crossed the line in terms of content that you? genuinely regret yeah i mean sure well i mean i don't know if there's an example that sure. that will fit what you're uh looking for but like when i look at some of the uh, comics in diaspora boy from you know 2009 mm -hmm. 2010 2011 i was clearly you know i don't know if i would use the official term liberal zionist but i definitely had uh sort of faith i think in 
a two-state solution early on. Yeah. And I interpreted the, the alternative, a binational state essentially – uh, or apartheid, but I mean, I, I, I thought a binational state, I, I, I learned throughout, you know, the Oslo process that, you know, we're fighting, you know, to avoid a binational state because that would be a nightmare. When of course, you know, all binational means, you know, on paper is full suffrage. I, I see some of the early comics in there were both in some cases talking about the moral underpinnings of the origins of Zionism yeah. in ways, you know, it's amazing. I was being called an anti-Semite. For, for, you know, back then when I was like, you know, I, I was, I was just like disillusioned. I wouldn't say Zionist, but, you know, person who had some respect for it, uh, for, you know, the, the ideology of, of aspirations. So it's, early on. it's a regret from the standpoint that your ideology has shifted. Exactly. It's a regret from that perspective. Uh, and I don't know if you're looking for something about regrets of like, uh, drawing a Holocaust figure or something like that. That's interesting in and of itself. But yeah, I, I guess a good follow on to that is, you know, do you feel like you've crossed a line that you shouldn't have? Yeah, I mean, I can't think offhand sure. of any example like that. If if anything, it's like I regret um, stupid gag or um, something like that, but not – I don't regret anything. In fact, you know what? I regret the comics I don't do. I regret mm. the comics, you know. There was one with um, Scarlett Johansson when she was uh, spon- yeah, the spokesperson for SodaStream. I wanted to have mm. her – frankly, my dear, I don't get – you know that um, – Gone with the Wind, yeah, yeah. Scarlett. And I forget what she was going to be saying, but she – you know, she, I was going to have her as a plantation owner. And uh, I don't remember the whole details now, um, but I, I – I talked to people who are like, no, you, you cannot touch slavery. And maybe, and you know what? This was like a few years ago. Today, it probably would be even more problematic to do it. But, um, at the time, I didn't do it. And then I talked to the head of uh, 972 magazine, this, uh, lefty Israeli, uh, magazine. He's like, yeah, we would have run that. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that's actually a good idea. And, and they sometimes reject my stuff. So it, it did make me realize, you know, if, if you have a good idea and you, and you like it, you should just do it. That was almost a regret of not doing it because you were worried about going too far. So it's almost like the yeah. opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, exactly. Are you doing this full time? Are you not doing the day job because this was something that you were hoping to pursue full time? No, the day job ended because they I, I, I had a certain role there. and Yeah, just know, ran its course. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. I mean, it was for a while and it was good. You know, it was also it wasn't like uh, five days a week either. So it, it was it was yeah. like it was ideal for the kind of work I do. Um, so, no, I did not quit it in order to pursue my dreams. That would have been delusional, unfortunately, especially in New York. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, it's it's so silly to say because uh, I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but I have been working on a book proposal of a political satire book, which you saw my Chapo illustrations. Mm-hmm. So it would be like, you know, full page illustrations, but a mock children's book with like sort of um, uh, yeah, a couplet or two couplets on the left side. Um Making fun of the uh, neutralized, uh, neuterized, or neutered, I should say, uh, resistance. The Democratic Party sort of yeah. Trump resistance. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the grifters, et cetera. Yeah. Um, it's been difficult. Uh, what, are those, what are those twin brothers named? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know what? Actually, um, scenes. They, they wrote a kid's book. <laughs> they did. And I was partly inspired <laughs> by that. But I do want to say that no one outside of Twitter knows who they are. And yeah. so I, I would avoid uh, targeting them. It's such a fascinating culture. It is fascinating yeah. the way people have become celebrities based on – replying to trump it's crazy I right i know i wonder do they make money off of like um their shtick their grift i don't know i, I don't know i mean they they tried to capitalize on it with the children's book but i think that completely fell flat yeah yeah uh the muscular muller and everything but the problem has been that um well i'll tell you one of the problems has been uh I don't know where we're going to be in a year. And, uh, this, the idea was this book will, and by the way, I don't want to be disparaging. I, I mean, I still want to finish this damn proposal, but, uh, I, you know, it's like 
we could end up with Elizabeth or Bernie as the candidate. We could end up with fucking Beto as a candidate. Yeah. And, you know, drawing now, it's like – it's very hard to predict actually. It is – it's really hard to predict where it's going. Although you can always rest assured that if you're betting against you – Best know, case scenario. <laughs> yes, you're, if you're betting against uh, <laughs> forces of social good, yeah. then yeah. you're going to do okay. You know, like Pelosi keeps reminding us of that and Schumer does as well. Anyway – I, I, that's why I just had such exhilaration over these um, quick turnaround um, crisis-infused comics, whereas the – you know, like honestly, I mean I had a little thing about Mueller. I think everything about Mueller has flipped ever since, you know? He, he used to be like the savior as we were saying, like Krasnstein. He was a savior and now – It was Mueller time. Yeah, exactly. And now and now people are pissed at him. Jim Carrey just had some – you know, one of his like – things about Mueller. It's exactly know? like Comey, it, but it, like yeah. the flip, right? Yeah, 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 Where yeah. Comey was a villain and then the hero of the left. Yeah, it's true, actually. It's interesting. The impeachment thing, it's like everyone was saying impeach, impeach, but then then yeah. now it's like, well, the people, they don't, it's just like. Everything was hung on collusion. Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's 8 million other impeachable offenses, yeah. I'm sure, in that report, but everything was hung on collusion. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So these are the kinds of things that are hard to predict. And also it, it's, it's been, it's less than exhilarating to yeah. write and draw on that. But anyway, so my idea was if I can get this proposal together and sell it because digital media and print media do not pay living wages, that's just like, you know, yeah. I think it's a sentence that can be true unless you're fucking Matt Taibbi or something, right? So, uh, so, uh, <laughs> and even he's got that sort of, he's got that, uh, what, what, he's, he's basically serializing his books now. Oh, really? Didn't yeah. realize that. He's doing something where, you know, instead of doing a book for a year, he'll put it up chapter by chapter and you subscribe. Oh, so really? even he's got his sort of like own hustle going. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that. And he's like, and a top tier political reporter. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm replacing the, the delusion of being able to support myself via um, media, you know, uh, digital print media, with the delusion of the publishing industry, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. Um, but but I do think it's a better delusion to have than the um, whatever the uh, print or yeah. digital media thing. You know, you really started drawing comics in earnest as as an adult, like in over the last several years. I mean, it's a relatively recent occurrence. It sounds like. Well, I should say, you know, I drew them when I was in college, and I drew okay. them throughout high school. But as kind of a that, hobby. No, I actually wanted to be a political cartoonist mm. when I graduated college and it didn't pan out. I ended up moving to Europe. Your dreams of being a political cartoonist didn't pan out? I know, I know. Oh, man. When I think of my old work, though, I, d I just don't like the, the old stuff I used to do. I mean, with, with a few minor exceptions, you know. So I, I moved to Europe and I ended up writing a uh, travel guide to Jewish Europe and it was an amazing experience. And I loved it and I didn't think I'd ever draw again. I was more interested in writing literary, you know, fiction and, and or non-literary fiction, too. And then just like, you know, in 2006, 2007, things started happening where I just realized, um, I, you know, I hadn't drawn in 10 years, but I was like, wow, I, I was very rusty and, you know, I'd never, I'd always wanted to use the brush and ink, uh, well, but I, I don't think I ever was super at it. And I just started again and just like kept training and training and training myself. Yeah. And I finally got to a point where I was happy with my brush and ink style, even though it took me forever, even longer than it takes me now to do stuff. You have to essentially retrain yourself in order to start doing it on digital. Yeah, retrain myself, but it, it came quicker than I expected. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the main things about um, the brush on Bristol was uh, waiting for my Deleter 2 or uh, – that's what, you know, Deleter 2, the white plaque ink. It's, it's this Japanese uh, – it's probably poison. Uh, but, any, yeah, I used to love that stuff. But the thing is, like, it would take, you know, 12 minutes or so, yeah. between 10, 15 minutes to, to dry – and so it's, you know, black indie ink will dry like maybe in a minute or so. So, but waiting when, when I'm doing corrections or when I'm using white over black, 
it's just insane. Whereas on the computer, type you just push the X button. I like I'm I'm talking to someone on the phone. They're like, "What's that tapping?" And it's because I'm drawing while I'm talking, and I'm going X X X. You know, black, white, white, but black. This gets back to what I was talking about before, talking about music. The difference between analog and digital, and in the same way that you're creating a constraint for yourself with a single panel to distill a kind of a single idea. You know, to take all these big news stories and and do it one phrase, one panel. The one thing that that offers you that that sort of slow process does is it is a constraint and it is a way of, of editing yourself and it is a way of making sure that you're putting your best idea down and that you know you don't have a lot of time to second guess yeah there are various aspects and i, and I do want to say like digital is a gift and a curse yeah. there are negatives and there are positives but the, the one thing is that sometimes when i haven't decided completely on the text of a comic mm. i just have this vision i can start drawing without worrying about that whereas when it's on bristol board you're right you can't you, yeah I, I'm, I forget how you phrase it but um can't be too precious yeah because you need to know from the start how much real estate to leave for your words yeah. basically i mean that's the main issue of it um and whereas on the computer you can keep resizing and, and changing canvas and i do that and i enjoy doing that even though it you know, sometimes cause the computer to crash. You clearly enjoy the process of drawing as much as you do any other aspect, it sounds like, of creating a comic. I mean, is there interest in doing something that's a little bit more mainstream or commercial? When I embarked on this, you know, not having a day job, I was hoping for that. I never, I still haven't, maybe I will, I haven't pursued the, um, you know, the illustrator route. I mean, I just feel like a lot of people like my work, but I don't have an agent. I don't have an illustration agent. The amount of times I am called by an actual outlet is like maybe once a year, you know? I mean, and has that changed now that you're no, a little bit more not, in the spotlight? It has not changed at all. Yeah. Nobody. I mean, I, I I feel a little bit emasculated here saying it, but nobody asked me for work. Well, nobody it's interesting, right? Because like I've known about your work for a while and then I was like, oh, wow, oh. this is, a, you know, I, oh. this is interesting. Like we should have this conversation. You know, you, you go on Chapo, other people are interviewing you. So there's, there's interest from the standpoint of people wanting to talk to you, but it hasn't translated into commercial. Zero, zero. It's interesting. It's, it's again. It's like that New York Magazine. His yeah. career is running high. No, well, depends how you define career. It's definitely not. If you define career in the most simplistic yeah. terms of being able to support yourself, no, it's not. You know, so uh, that's discouraging. If something is politically divisive, especially, I mean, Israel's such a the conversation of Israel like breaks up families. Maybe like larger mainstream outlets don't want to seem as though they're even if they're asking me to illustrate like cats and dogs for their pet issue or something. I that's... suspect that it's probably yeah, like in terms of like who you hire. Yeah, that's fucked up, and I I hate to think that that's true and there's no like paper trail of that so i can't like prove it but i would really um it's really discouraging and distressing actually but no i i, I wouldn't mind doing an illustrated book that's not political and i was starting to brainstorm ideas on that you know it hasn't really um moved forward mostly because again we just keep seeing these crises and then i just like drop everything and start drawing are you at least enjoying the process of, of making these snapshots yes I, i'll tell you um <laughs> i know woody allen you shouldn't be quoting him at all anymore but i'm gonna say this uh, i once saw an interview where he said when he's not making a film you know he, he does films so that he doesn't fall into clinical depression he, yeah. he will he will be depressed if he doesn't make films and i was all like what are you talking about how can that stop depression you know but now i sort of um i i kind of see that a bit because when when I'm and it might be other issues as well, and you know, not having a day job at the moment. But when I am not inspired by an idea, I really feel down, dejected, and it's like, what the hell am I doing? You know. And then when 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 something happens, an idea come. I don't want to use um, the wrong terms because I'm drawing such such horrible things. Yeah. But it, there's an exhilaration there. You know, it's it's not it's clearly not manic depression or anything like that. But it but it has as um, just you know in terms of uh, bi not not bipolar but like. The um, 
you know, like on or off, essentially, you know, mm-hmm. when there's when there's an idea that's coming in me and that's like, you know, erupting, so to speak, I'm I'm excited by it. And um, and it's like the opposite of depression and, and the, 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 the vice versa, the opposite is true as well. It gives you purpose. Yeah, it gives me purpose. And it also it's like the creative uh, energy of just like realizing a vision is, I mean, people, you know, these are grotesqueries and all that, but they're also to me, they're beautiful pieces of art. And so realizing them is, is, uh, is you know, great. Uh, I don't want to say privilege because it sounds ridiculous, but I really enjoy doing it. There you go. That was Ellie Valley. You can check out his work over on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash Ellie Valley or support him over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Ellie Valley. Thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes, Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify and YouTube now. Like us on Facebook. If you have any feedback, it's rolcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rolcast dot tumblr.com that's first and best place to get all of your riyl related information and that's about all we got for this week so stick around because we're gonna be back just about this time next week with another episode of riyl